All right, how many of us are New Year's resolutions people? Raise your hand, I want to see it. If you are a New Year's resolution maker, nice and, nice and tall. Oh, wow. So raise your hand if you are not a resolution maker. You refuse to me. Wow, I'm ashamed of all of you. I'm so surprised. Usually, I mean, I, I kind of expected like halvesies, you know, but that was far more not makers. All right, well, I'm an unabashedly uh, New Year's um, resolution maker. And it doesn't matter whether I, you know, don't break them in, you know, I break them in February like everyone else. But there's this idea of progression that I love, that every year I face the mirror and ask the question, um, how'd you do this year? And what is the next degree of glory God might want to push you toward? But uh, yet, we're coming to the end of the year, and, and maybe for some of you, it's really just, how many of you felt like you just survived the year? Like, that was it, like, like it was like, we barely made it out alive, you're ripped, you're tore up, it's, you're beat up, it's been ugly. And if that's been your year, and I think that's at least, at least as some portion of your year has been like that, uh, that you face this next upcoming year, this 2019 with one of two probably general feelings. You might feel a little afraid, like this year's coming at me. The last one was so bad. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can survive it. How many of you are feeling like this? You can be honest. This church, you can be honest. We're all sinners here. There, okay. Um, my hope, though, is that we'll move to this morning from... <laughs> shouldn't have looked at it. From this... Uh, being afraid, worried, concerned, and toward something more like this, bravely, <laughs> bravely standing there, ready to get that 2019 into just to make it yours. So, so it, you, everyone, I want to see as you leave, give us a quick pose like this. This is what I want you to feel like going up. One of the things that we forget about a lot of times as we face new things, new year, new days, new weeks even, is we often feel kind of powerless, like things happen to us rather than us taking, uh, taking charge and moving forward. Um, and I think a lot of this comes uh, from something that we sometimes lose sight of, perhaps we've lost sight of completely, I don't know. Um, but that is how, how encountering God changes us. There's this really great story. If you want to find it in your Bibles, it's, it's in Exodus chapter uh, 33 and 34. I'll be looking at some pieces of that, but we're really going to spend most of our time working through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which is on page 965. That's where we'll spend the bulk of our, our meaning. But, but I, I wanted to tell a little bit of the story because it's just such an intriguing story, and Paul is going to grab a hold of the story and use it in his, in his teaching there in 2 Corinthians. But this story opens up with, with Moses back on Sinai after he, he ruined the Ten Commandments. And, and so he's back up there. He's, he's in God's presence. And he is frustrated. And he says to God, God, show me your ways. Show me your ways. And God says to him, I, I, will, I will show you my ways. And I know your name. That's an important line. This actually is going to come up twice. Not only does God know his name, but he's going to talk about his, God's going to talk about his own name. 
And names are important, right? Because when I immediately say Carl, I get his eyes, right? And we, 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 we know, I know his name, I can speak his name, and immediately there's a connection. Everyone likes to hear, it's actually a, a psychological trait, we like to hear our own names. And so there's this, there's this intensity that happens when God says, I know your name, that there's something happening there. So after, God, after Moses says, hey, teach me your ways, as, they be, as they're continuing their conversation, he says to, to God, please, in verse 18, if you happen to be there, show me your glory. In fact, we sang that this morning, didn't we? Take it from this text. Show me your glory. This is an interesting question. What does it mean? What is, what is he asking for? What does he want to see? Does he want to see God face to face? Does he want to see light? Like, what does that mean to see your glory? But show me, show me your glory. And then God answers back to him. And he says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. My goodness will show you how good I am. And then I will proclaim my name to you. So not only will Moses hear the name of God, he will hear the name of God in God's own voice. Quite an encounter. And he says in verse 20, but uh, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take back my hand, and you shall see my back, or sometimes it's translated uh, the robe, the train of his robe. You're going to see there's this this little tiny piece of God, but my face you shall not see. And of course this happens. What an incredible, mysterious encounter. So strange. In, in chapter 34, fast forwarding a little bit, Moses comes down off of the mountain. And when he comes down off of the mountain, the people see his face and it looks like he swallowed a light bulb. His skin literally shines. His encounter with God has not only given him new insight into knowing God intellectually, understanding God's ways, how he wants them to live intellectually, but it has also physically changed him in such a way that he now shines. And the Bible tells us that the people are terrified. That actually sounded more happy than terrified, but... It works nonetheless. They're terrified, as you might imagine. And so they tell Moses, listen, man, you've got to cover that mug up. We can't take it. Put a veil over it. And so Moses, when he goes out to speak to the people, he, from that point on, he wears a veil over his face. But when he goes into the presence of God, he removes the veil, and he stands face to face with God, more or less. What an incredible, incredible story. Paul latches onto this as he begins to talk about what it looks like to be a Christian. And I want to reflect on that as we think about a new year. And maybe, and maybe, maybe you'll change your mind and decide to make some resolutions or at least take a long, hard look in the mirror. And so if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you um, are using the same Bible I am, it's on page 965. And we're just going to read this chapter together. This is a church that Paul has planted, and you might obviously guess there is a 1 Corinthians that comes before this. And in the letter of 1 Corinthians especially, the church is riddled with all sorts of problems. 
And Paul writes a letter to them, a second letter here. And he says in verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? We might put it this way. Do I need to reintroduce myself to you? Don't you know who I am? You, yourselves, are our letter of recommendation. Written on our hearts to be known and to be read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, without, or written not, in, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. I really love this metaphor, this idea. Paul's planted this church. He's written another letter. This, this letter is a little more conciliatory. The last letter was very harsh. He was coming down on them with some very harsh language. You might remember that sexual immorality was rampant in the church. There were lawsuits among believers. There was fighting. There was dissension. There was uh, controversy around chaotic worship. Like, what kind of worship should we do? Should we do it this way or this way? And there's all kinds of controversy around that. There's, in fact, it's so intense. The, the issues that are in that church are so intense. He says, listen, you guys stop taking communion. You just need to stop. Because God is striking people dead in your church. Because that's how misusing of the, the communion table you guys are, are at. And yet, what does he say in this letter? He says, you are still our letter. Our letter to Corinth. And I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about yourself and this church. This is, this is God's letter to Portage. This is God's letter to Portage. Portage should look at Oakland Drive Christian Church and say, oh, this is kind of what God is like. When you're at work or you're uh, out to eat with your family or when you're, you're with your family, maybe over the holidays, maybe you some, still have some holiday things coming on. When you're out and about in your life, you as an individual, you are a letter, kind of a derivative letter. You are a letter not only from Christ but also representing this church too. And what you do and how you act, people say, well, that's what Christians are like. And if they say that's what Christians are like, oftentimes they think that's what Christ is like. You are a letter. What kind of letter are you? What kind of letter are you? Paul has a great deal of hope for this church. Even though they were riddled with problems, inconsistencies, failures even, to such, an ex- to such a great extent, he still had hope. What does it mean for the church to be a letter? He goes on in verses 4 through 6. Look at this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers. And that word minister, you might think of, well, that's a job. That's like Jordan, right? That's, that's like that. That word there is diakonos which is a word that we, get, we derive deacon from, but it's a word that le- means very literally servant. A servant of the covenant. And what is the covenant he's referring to? He's co- talking about the transformation that has now happened, that now because Jesus has come, because he has died, because he has rose from the dead, because he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and because we know he's coming again to judge the quick and the dead and the sons of man, there is now a new pact between us and God, built upon the grace that is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. You are a servant of that covenant if you're a believer here today. You are a letter describing that covenant 
if you are a believer here today. Paul says that that sufficiency that, that he has to, to be the kind of person who is, who is that letter or who is producing new letters, as it were, in Corinth, he says that sufficiency doesn't come from me. It's not because I'm so great. No, it comes from God. This new covenant is not of the letter, he says, but of the spirit, for the letter kills. And here he's referring to the the Old Testament. He's referring to the laws of Moses, the spirit which has now come in Jesus Christ. This is life. This is life. And I love that idea of sufficiency. The sufficiency of God allows you or will make you able to be a good letter. To be a good letter. And I wonder if sometimes our thinking about sufficiency is kind of small. So I, I had this flashback. Um, one of my good friends is in Michigan uh, over the next couple of weeks, comes back up because his family is here. His name is Johnny. He's a great Christian man. We went to seminary together. And I have these vivid memories of Johnny being that annoying kid who sat up front and asked questions after the time is done. Like, I put in my 50 minutes. Time is up. Johnny, shut up. I want to go play video games. <laughs> Does anybody know, you know what I'm talking about? There's a, there's a kid like that in every class, I think. And that was Johnny. John, and he'll listen to this and laugh, so it's okay. But I remember having tests with, going in and doing tests with Johnny. And as we would sit down for a test, Johnny would always, you guys know Johnny? He would, he would always pray over the test. And I, I told him, hey, stupid Johnny, why would I pray over this test? God gave me time to study. I played video games. It's my fault if I fail. <laughs> and, he, and he would look at me with disgust. <laughs> and he'd say, fine, I'll pray for both of us. And those are times I probably actually did well. It's probably because of him. But our prayers, our desire for God in terms of sufficiency, I think sometimes are kind of small. I mean, what is Paul after here? What is he talking about? He's fighting for the gospel to be presented to people who are lost. He's fighting for the gospel to be embodied in the people of God who are reflecting not only his own work, but also the work of Christ in salvation. Like if we aren't living out God's ways, then are we saved? If salvation doesn't provide or produce something like fruitful in our lives... What is it worth? What's it all for? Isn't it interesting that Moses starts out with this? God, show me your ways. God, I want to know your name. And then comes all these bits about seeing God and shining like the sun and all that. It begins with understanding who God is and what he wants and how he works and how he lives. And then embodying that yourself. That's the sufficiency that Paul is talking about. And that's the the content that I want this year's prayers to be about. I want my prayers to be big picture stuff. I want to reach Portage. I want Oakland Drive to shine. I want to be morally upright. I, I want to strive towards these things. And I know that I will fall along the way. Can I get a witness? I don't need you guys actually to witness to that. Just keep it to yourselves. We're, we're gonna fail along the way. February is going to come and I'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot. I was going to be a better person. But then you remember and you push on, right? In fact, he gets at this kind of thinking here in verses 7 
through 11. He says, listen, now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit give even more glory? For if there is glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. For if what is being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Take a deep breath because that felt like a tongue twister. That feeling, say what? Who said that? Gwen, yeah, yeah, Gwen. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. I mean, it feels like a tongue twister. But I wanted to draw out what, what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to make some comparisons. And so here, here, here's some of those comparisons he's drawing out. Like, if there was glory that came in the law of death, and what does he refer to? He refers to the law. When Moses got the ways of God written in those stone tablets, those Ten Commandments, you know, it, how many of you have ever seen Ray Comfort? I know you have. He talks, Ray Comfort does a great job of this, talking about how uh, he'll, he'll stand, he's kind of one of those street preachers, but he'll tell you, have you ever lied? And everyone says, yes. Have you ever looked lustfully on another person? And everyone says, oh, we were a little more hesitant there, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yes. We felt greed in our heart. We coveted what somebody else has. Have you ever felt that? I mean, our entire culture is built on that, Right? And so just in like 10 seconds, we identified that we're all lawbreakers of at least three. How many of us have taken the Lord's name and used it in a way that is not befitting his glory? Even less. But yeah, we've all done these things, right? And so what is the end of lawbreaking? Death. And so what does he say here? He says, if there was glory in that law, and there was, it is good news that you know what God desires of you, that you know how good God is. That's what he says. God says, Moses, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass forth. You're going to see how good I am, how perfect and pure I am. And that's good. It's good to know those things. But listen, if we all stand condemned and we're going to die, it's only a little bit of glory, <laughs> Right? And so if there's some glory that's attached to the law of Moses, to the Old Testament, it's it's good. It's good that we know these things. How much greater is the glory that we have now that Jesus Christ has died for our sins? Isn't that greater? That mercy is now available to us, that salvation is now available to us, that we can enter into the kingdom of God, not by our own works of righteousness, but through faith and faithfulness in him. That's good news. There's more glory there. If there is glory in the writings of the stone tablets, how much more is the Holy Spirit which is written on our hearts? Isn't it better to have God move in you toward action or inaction than to just have a law written on a piece of stone? Well, I know I shouldn't do this, so I won't do this. Isn't it better to have God in you pulling you toward ministry or saying to you in your heart, you know, listen, that's not a place that a Christian should go. Don't go there. That's what the spirit of the living God is. The spirit dwells within you, moves in you, and pulls at you and pushes at you, moving you towards the good and away from the evil if you stop and listen. That's so much better than just a a rigid set of laws. 
So if there's glory in those rigid set of laws, how much more glory is there that we have the Spirit moving in us? If there's glory in something that was temporary because the laws of Moses are passing away and now we have Jesus in his way, if there was glory in that thing that was passing away, how much more glory is there in the thing that has come that is permanent and forever? So much more. Does that help make sense of that? That's what Paul is trying to do. He's drawing out these comparisons so that you can see how much glory is built into what God has done in Christ and what God is doing now through the Spirit in you. And so if Moses came down off of that mountain and his face shone like the sun, why don't I see a smile a little bit more? It's good news. There is good news for this year. Your sins are washed away. You have hope for eternal life. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you that he wants you to access his power so that you can do what is good and abstain from what is evil. That you can draw close to God in prayer. You have people around you who love you and care for you. A church that wants to come around you and wants to help you bear your burdens. Isn't there a reason to be happy? And so what Paul is trying to do is draw that out. Listen, if Moses was shining like the sun with that encounter he had with God, but you have now Jesus in the Spirit, shouldn't you shine too? Shouldn't you shine more? And here he leads into the next, uh, the next verses, the last little section here we'll, we'll tackle. 12 through, uh, 12 through 18. Since we have such hope, We are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, and for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the laws of Moses, is what he's talking about there, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses has read, the veil lies over their hearts, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is spirit. I love those two lines. I'll highlight them. The first and the second. The first is the first line, and the second is the last line, the first one. So we are very bold. I want to call you to boldness in 2019. I want to call you to courage. I want to call you to not hide or shrink back. Not to be like Moses, hiding your face behind the veil, but rather because you are the unveiled glory of God. You are the letter of God to Portage. You are the letter of God in your business, in your home. You are the letter of God to your children and your grandchildren, your nieces and your nephews. You are the letter of God. And that's glorious. I mean, it's an immense responsibility, but it's glorious because you aren't in it alone. The Spirit of God is in you who is sufficient to help you accomplish that task. And so we are what? Very bold. Bold to speak truth. Bold to live out righteousness. Bold to walk forward and call things as they ought to be. 
Bold to pray and to bless. Bold to speak the truth. As a Christian, as Moses maybe, as he did, he elicited fear, didn't he? Because of his look. And Jesus seems to, uh, seems to believe that as Christians, we will be the same way. We will elicit either uh, disgust, fear, contempt, or we will elicit interest. <laughs> this might be a weird thing to say, but I guess make it your uh, New Year's resolution to either elicit disgust in the people around you or interest. Be hot or cold. Be hot or cold. Don't walk the middle ground. What, what glory is there in that? Mediocrity? No. Be bold as Moses was not. Take that mantle and, and expand it. Lift the veil. Lift the veil. The last line I love as well. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being transformed. Notice this. Into the same image. Moses stands before God. And because he stands before God, he begins to physically manifest change. He shines. That is his true being. His essence is to shine. But sin has come into our lives and has dulled us. It's dulled us down. Sin is banal. It's carnality. It's fleshy. It's passing away. And it dulls us and it makes us less than we are. Let me say to you, if you are not a believer here today, you're not a Christian here today, or if you are a Christian, this is good news for everyone, you are made for glory. You are the only thing on the whole face of the planet that bears a resemblance to God. And every time you stoop down into the animal kingdom, behaving as an animal, you diminish what you are. When we see Moses, we see what we're supposed to be. And Paul says, grab a hold of that. Why veil your face over again? No, reflect the glory of God. That is the transformation that God wants to have in you. And I love what it says, from one degree of glory to another. Because looking at the Corinthian church, he pulls no punches. They're not doing it well. And he says, look into the mirror. How many of you got out of the shower this morning, looked in the mirror, and looked away? <laughs> Can I get a witness to that? The mirror, the mirror hides nothing, right? It reflects what's there. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we're afraid to look in the mirror. But we need to look in the mirror. I want you to take a look in the mirror this week and ask the question, what is the state of my soul? What is the state of my soul? Because everything else is passing away. But what is eternal about you is the part of you that is attached to God. Right? That, that which is going to be resurrected and live forever. And we have to have the courage to face ourselves in the mirror. And by facing ourselves in the mirror, we can go from one degree of glory to another. Every year it's like this. Every day it's like this. We're striving to go to the next degree of glory. God has more glory in mind for you. But if you stay where you are, what a tragic life. You are made to move from one degree of glory to another so that with an unveiled face, people see you and they see the letter God has sent the world. That's a mighty calling. 
It should make you look a little bit like Paul standing there. Can we go back to it? There he is. You should face the world like this. Courage, boldness, faith. If I summed it all up in one sentence, I would put it like this. I would say, that the, I would say it just went off. Here we go again. I would say it like this. The church through the spirit is transformed into glory to then reveal that glorious God to the world. That's what you're made for. That's what we're made for. If I put it more simply than that, you're to share Jesus, right? We're to share Jesus. We are his letter to the world. As we come to a conclusion... I want to encourage you to take those things seriously. Maybe as we're sitting here and maybe you're singing this song, thinking about all that God has done in you, consider for a moment the state of your soul. And consider for a moment how God wants to move you to the next degree of glory. How you can unveil that face and you can reflect, like Moses of old, the glory of God in your context. Let's stand as we sing this song.